This is the Storyteller. I'm back again on the same day with episode number 10. I do believe that there was a glitch when I sent it out earlier. I do believe that number, the episode number 9 and 10 were combined. And that was not the way I wanted you to get it. However, if you hear episode number 9, you will also, it will just automatically go into episode number 10. But I want you to have two separate ones. Um, so I'm going to redo it for you. I apologize so much. Um, although it's no problem at all, but I just want you to have two because they're only short and I didn't want you to have to listen to a whole hour's worth of episodes. So here we go. Episode number 10, continuation from My Inheritance. My great-grandmother was the first and original storyteller. The one that I talked about on last time was the first and the original storyteller that I can remember. The tree of that generation yielded fruit, and the generation after that, and the ones to come are expected to yield even more increase. And let me just repeat it because this will be helpful to you as an inheritance for your children. My great-grandmother was the very first and original storyteller in my life. Her tree the tree of that generation yielded fruit and the generation after her yielded fruit and the ones to come are supposed to yield even more increase. Are you getting that? Your great-grandmother did it. Your grandmother did it. Now you should be doing it. And your children and their children's children should be doing it. Increase is supposed to continue. Each generation has yielded a storyteller for their generation. So I prophesy for my generation. So shall it ever be. That there will be more storytellers and more storytellers. I carry these stories with me to this day. What is it about the stories that I love so much? The stories of my heritage is my inheritance. They give me meaning to who I am. where I come from, why I am the way that I am, why I naturally switch when I walk, why I talk the way I talk, and why my laughter has a certain strength and gutsiness about it. My heritage gives meaning to who I am. I'm not a lost breed. 
I'm not an X generation. I know from whence I come. You see, I don't need to go back to Africa to find my people, to find my roots, to get defined by people that do not know me and do not choose me. See, many times they too define us as lazy, trifling, slowful, whiny, pitiful, uneducated, fried chicken eating, McDonald's eating niggers. I don't know if you've heard that, but I have. So I don't need to go any place to find who I am. What is it about these stories that I love so, so much? The sayings of my heritage. I love that. All the different sayings. The ways of my heritage. The values of my heritage. The howdy duties of my heritage. And more than anything else, the God of my heritage. Which is why I'm really sharing these stories with you. You see, without a knowledge of heritage, you really can't know the real me. If you want to know the real me, I would like for you to be able to say, I really know that lady. Or when I'm gone, I really did know her. I knew her for real. We used to have a saying, What are you looking at me so hard for? I didn't come to stay. I just come to let you know that today is Easter Day. (laughs) We used to say that when people would look at us really hard and just stare us down. There will be a resurrection day. There will. But before Easter Day comes, who will be able to say that they really knew you? That they really knew you in a fruitful way, in a real way. Listen, listen. You're being incognito to what end? You're being secretive to what end? You hiding in plain sight to what end? Only for your friends and your family to say, Well, you know, I really didn't know them like that. I really didn't know them that well. But then, you really didn't know them. What do you think? Listen, these are life-changing glimpses of life told told to me by the great storytellers in my life. Stories that to this day I cherish. I live by them. Because they changed my life. They gave me a glimpse of their lives. Which merged into my life. And made me become the person that I am today. Excuse me for just a minute because... 
I'm getting a little bit emotional here just thinking about the stories and the people. Their lives changed my life. Hey, you got a minute? Come sit a spell. Take a load off and have a cold glass of lemonade. That's what I heard. That was the preparation, the prelude to hearing a great story. A story that would affect my life. They talked about rape. Being raped. Not just by the white man, but by the colored man as well. Raped by their own colored blood brother or colored father. Their faces and their body languages reveal the current right now pain of being raped by their own people. I watched their faces. I studied their faces. I observed their body language as they twisted and turned as if it was happening to them all over again. They told stories of what happened to them. But more than anything, they told stories of how they survived. The details of the survival, oddly enough, was the part that I took the most notice of. I love a survival story. There was no talk of anyone needing therapy, no talk of suicide, no talk of anyone hiding their faces in shame in a dark, dank room, just talk of survival and the ability to still forgive and love. Did I say forgive and love? Yeah. Isn't that God's way? To forgive and love? These storytellers, they could endure all that they did and still forgive and love. And yet, here we are. We can't endure the deep pain of not being spoken to by someone. Because our feelings are so hurt. But they were hurt to the core of their souls. And they still made babies for the colored men that raped them. They were hurt to the core of what makes us human. And they still cooked and took care of those abusers. I'm talking about the colored man. These were my stories. Not about what the white man did, but what the colored man did. What the colored preacher did. And then many years later, I will be able to add to that list. People that hurt and affect our lives to a soulful degree, 
comes from within. Not as much from without. These are the people that's inside of our lives. That we are around, that we sleep with, that we eat with, that we talk with. That we go to church with. That we go on picnics with. These hurtful people that cut us to the quick comes from within. Not as much from the, from the outside. Outsiders don't know you well enough to hurt you. They're not hands-on with you. Outsiders will throw a brick and hide their hands. Insiders stop trying to hide. They just keep throwing and throwing and throwing. So, stop a minute. Stop and just think about how many people of other races actually hurt you and affected your life to a degree that it shaped your life, that it changed your life. Stop and think. And then be honest with yourself. How many Mexicans, Jews, how many Spanish people, how many African people, how many of those people hurt you to a, to a degree that it has changed your life, an everlasting change? How many? If any, they were from the outside. But it was the inside people that hurt us, that changed our lives, that were close enough to do some real damage. These are the stories that I heard. Who had the influence over your life? See, if you can stop and take a glimpse of your life, then you can heal. And you can find peace. And then you can move on. That's why I tell the stories. That's why I tell you about a glimpse of life. I think I said last week, and I may have said before, a glimpse is like a taste. You only need just a taste to have a life-changing moment. But once you look at it, and once you look back at it and say, hmm, I do this today because of this that happened when I was 10. I react this way today because this is what happened when I was seven. Take a glimpse. Glance back a little bit. Are you glancing? Take a deep breath and just settle down and look back over your life. so you can heal so that you can find peace 
and so that you can move on. I remember Miss Ida, Miss Ida May. I was on my way home from downtown, and Miss Ida May invited me to come and. What do you think she said? Okay, I'll tell you. She, she invited me to come and sit a spell on her porch so that she could tell me a story. Remember I said that sitting a spell could be anywhere from a half hour to an hour, maybe two hours. Sometimes uh, sitting a spell could be a half a day. But I recall that particular evening when she invited me to come in and sit a spell but she was crying. I was not expecting that. I could not tell from the, from the street to the porch that she was in that state. But she was crying, and she was crying so hard as if the story that she was about to tell me had just happened. She said, come on up, sweet Isabel, and sit a spell. Just sit a spell with me. She said, Brother was around enough loose women that was willing to give him what he wanted, any way he wanted it, and when he wanted it. But he kept coming in to me. No matter how hard I fought him off, no matter how loud I hollered, he kept coming into me on me. I was taken aback. I was not prepared. I was not expecting her to talk about that. There had been some rumors about Miss Adame and her family. I was young. I did not know that I would ever be privy to that. But she just jumped right in without any warning. She didn't say, come sit a spell, sweet Isabel, and let's talk a while. She just jumped right in about what her brother had done to her. Sweet Isabel, she said, all my children are by my own brother. And they all half crazy, just like their daddy. They mine, and I love them. Lord knows I love my children. But there's something wrong with their minds, baby. The lady over near Big Creek said, it's because they were conceived by a sister and a brother. She said to me, the lady made, she said, the lady made me feel so bad. She said, I don't make, What's wrong with you? Good God Almighty, girl. You know that's, that's not the way the good Lord would have it. Brothers and sisters are not supposed to mate. That's the devil. That's not the natural way. You should expect those kids to be crazy. That's not natural. I was young. But something inside of me made me listen intently. I began to shed my tears. 
and she shed her tears. I laughed my laugh when she laughed hers, although hers was not quite like my mother's, but her laughter was soft and quiet. It was laughing, but it had a sadness about it. I had never heard a laugh like that. Remember, I was still young. And this was an emotion that was almost too big for me at my age. Laughing sad, happy sad, crying sad. I almost didn't know what to do. I almost didn't know what to say. But then something happened to me as I looked at her face. It was just me on the porch, just me and her. And I knew that I had to do something. I knew that I had to do something. She was laughing. She was crying. All at the same time. But suddenly, I felt like I had to help her. Take Pleckett. I knew I was there to help her. I just knew it. So, if laughing with her and crying with her, being sad with her, meant that I could help her, then that's what I was going to do. So I said, Miss Ida May, stop crying. God took care of you. You are still beautiful. I stroked her long, wavy hair that hung down to her butt. I said, Miss Idame, your brother was a nigger. Now, remember, I was young. But based on what my mother told me about a nigger, and based on how Miss Idame just described her blood brother and what he did, I knew he had to be a nigger. I was finally glad that I knew what a nigger was. She said, Sweet Isabel, you know, you're right. Yes, my brother Ike was a real nigger and still is. He messed with his own girls. I'm praying that the good Lord will one day save Ike's soul and then kill him. I thought to myself, if I told my grandmother, she would take care of Ike, but I didn't say anything to her. I was beginning to think about the various niggers that I knew. I thought to myself, the revival preacher was also a nigger. Mutt's stepfather was a nigger. The married white men that flirted with the colored girls that had the big butts, they were niggers. I was getting a real good understanding of what a real nigger looked like. Just like my mother just said, being a nigger had nothing to do with the skin color. Still stroking her long, wavy hair, I said to her, Miss Ida May, 
the Lord wanted you to live so that you could be a storyteller. You just told me a story. That means that you are a storyteller, like my great-grandmother and like my mother. She said, Sweet Isabel, maybe you're right. She said, Maybe you just said something. She said, I think you just said a mouthful. She said, Because I do sit right here on this old porch and I tell everybody that will listen about what a real nigga is. And they listen, especially the young people. The young people love my stories. So maybe you're right. I could see that that perked her up. I could see that she was happy. And she kept on talking. The old folk like me and your grandmother, we know that being a nigger don't have nothing to do with skin color. Being a nigger is what you're made of. It's what's in your soul, sweet Isabel. I know your grandmother probably already told you about niggers. She's a smart old engine, that grandmother of yours. She said, we call her an old engine because of them high cheekbones and that red skin she's got. And Lord, when that grandmother of yours gets mad with us at the church or anywhere, she goes on the warpath, just like them engines. It seemed to me like talking about my Madea and me telling her that she was a storyteller brought a smile to her face. It took away the darkness from my face, even though she was a real light-skinned lady. When she talked about her brother, her face looked dark. She sat up straight and tall in her chair as if she was ready to strike up another new conversation. She said, Sweet Isabel, what you call your grandma? What do you call her? What you call your grandmother? You call her grandmama? I said, no. No, Miss Adame. I call her my Madea. She laughed so hard, <laughs> holding her stomach and grabbing at her chest. I said, Miss Adame, stop laughing so hard. You're going to get sick. You're going to hurt yourself. She mimicked me. She said, you call her what? And I said, I call her Madea, my Madea. She said, I ain't never heard of nothing like that. She said, all of us that know that old engine call her the hooking cow. You'll meet her. You're going to meet that old hooking cow before it's all over. Just keep living with her. Keep on living with your mutt, dear. She said, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to laugh at you. You so sweet. I didn't mean to laugh. I just never heard anybody call them mud deer. She said, can you say it one more time for me? And I said, mud deer. She said, can you give me a kiss, sweet Isabel? I hugged her. I rubbed her hair again, and then I kissed her. She said, now, run on home now. I appreciate you listening to me. Don't make yourself a stranger, sweet Isabel. I said, I won't. I'll be back soon. 
I left Miss Adamay's house, skipping and running and twirling, plucking flowers as I walked, throwing them up in the air, sniffing honeysuckles that surrounded almost everyone's fence because they fresh in the air. And I drank them in, I held them up to my nostrils, and I rubbed them all over my body as if I was washing myself in the fragrance of the honeysuckles. I was happy that I was able to help her. Remember, I was still young. But it was that day with Miss Ida May that I knew that I was born to help people be happy. It did something inside of me. It made me feel so warm and so tall and big. I felt like a big girl, that I had brought a smile to a grown-up's face, that I was able to dry her tears. I was able to hold her in my arms. I felt so grown. I didn't know the name of what happened, but I realized much later that purpose was born. I had given birth to purpose. I couldn't call it that day. Didn't know that name. But it wasn't long before I realized that I had given birth to purpose. It was that day as I was running and twirling and sniffing and all those things. It was on that day that I reflected back on how I came into the world. It all came back to me clearer than ever. Everything that Auntie Beckett told me about the storm, my mother, her screaming out my name and pushing me out as if to say, here she is. Well, here I was. Here I was. Strange acting, fast talking, stuttering from talking too fast. Here I am. Being all right, not playing the things that look like so much fun for the children. I wore colorful mammy-made clothes. That's what the kids called them. But I loved them so much. I love my mammy-made clothes. My mother allowed me to order the flour for our store. The flour sacks came in anywhere from five pounds to a hundred pounds, maybe more. She would say, Boot, it's time to order the flour. Pick out the colors of the sacks that you want so I can make you a pretty outfit. When the flour sacks were emptied and washed, she began making me an outfit. The other children wore clothes from Sears and Robux that the parents had ordered from the catalog or a nearby bigger town. I didn't care. I didn't. Their clothes were pretty, but I still like mine better. I love ruffles. My dear could make ruffles that came from your neck all the way down to your knees. And the kids laughed at me, calling my clothes mammy-made. 
I didn't care. You see, not caring about what people said or thought about me became a way of life. I still love the kids. And I like their clothes. They were so pretty. They were just not for me. I was already defined to not care about what other people thought. Not being defined by what people thought of me at an early age, it shaped my life. And it kept me free. What about you? Do you need a minute to think about what shaped your life? Or do you need a minute to think about whether or not you're free? I'll give you a minute. You can put it on pause. Put it on pause. And just reflect back. Refle- reflect. Do some reflection right now. Just for this small amount of time. What shape? What defined your life? to find it. What aspect of people's reaction to you shape your life? I said not being defined by what people thought shaped my life. And it kept me free. I'm free. I want you to be free. Let's move on. I was now 12 years old. And finally got... What do you think I got? What do you think I finally got? I'll tell you. My religion. (laughs) Remember the last podcast I talked about how I was robbed of that? I talked about what the preacher did. I'm 12 now at this place. And I'm finally getting my religion. I never stopped praying. My mother told me to keep on praying. And I did that because I wanted so badly to work at the church. But the Baptist church wouldn't let me. They said that I had to join the church and I had to be baptized. So I began working in the Methodist church where they sprinkled me and let me work. I sang, I played the piano, recited speeches, wore my white dresses, went to church in the mornings and the uppers league in the evenings. Still, there was something missing. I wanted to go down in the water at the creek. Every time they had a baptism at the creek, I could see myself there. And I wondered how long would it be before I could go down in the water at the creek. But I kept on praying. 
Revival came back around, and I kept on praying. My mother said, when you get religion for real, I'll know it. I'll feel it too. She said to me, ask God to show you a sign. So I did that. She knew that I was praying. And she wanted me to get religion too. Just as bad as I did. So I did that. Whatever she told me to do, I did. Whatever happened to that kind of trust between children and their parents? Maybe we forgot our heritage. Well, I asked God that if he was real, show me a sign in my room. After about three nights of asking for a sign... I awakened in the middle of the night with full light beaming down just on me. It was almost as if it was coming from heaven through the window right into my room, shining right down on me. I knew it was him. I began to whisper, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Then I hollered it out. Thank you, Jesus! My mother was saying it too. Had she seen the light? Did she see the same light? She hollered into me. You saw it, Boot? Yes, ma'am, I saw it. It was mine. The light was mine. Jesus was mine. God was mine. Heaven was mine. Baptism was going to be mine. I was going to the water to be baptized. And now, religion was finally mine. I sat up in my bed singing the song that we often heard the quartet singers sing. I know I've been changed. I didn't care whether or not I could sing it like them. I knew that I couldn't. But I wanted to hear myself say it. I wanted to say it to the Lord. I just wanted to sing it. feel the warmth as it just went all through me. I know I've been changed. Ah, I know I've been changed. Ah, I know I've been changed. The angels in heaven done sign my name. I wanted to get up out of my bed. I just wanted to walk and sing. But I was so weak. My body was weak. I knew that I couldn't trust my legs to move. I was so weak. I just, I felt like he had just come inside of me. Something was inside of me. 
all I could do was just lay there with my hands lifted up, and I just kept singing, I know I've been changed. My grandmother heard me singing it, and she picked up on it, and she began to sing it. And she sang it in that shrill, high-pitched voice the way I loved. I knew that one day when I got older, I would be able to sing it just like her because I loved to hear her sing it. I couldn't, but she sang it. She didn't come in. She never came into my room. She let me have my time with Jesus by myself. But she was still a part of it. I knew that she was probably on the other side of that wall crying and thanking Jesus that her boot had gotten saved. Another life lesson that would serve me very well later in my life. It was important for me to have my time with the Lord without interference. I remember that and I held on to it. I knew the importance of backing off and letting Jesus work before I did any ministering. My grandmother did not get out ahead of God. She let me lay there in his presence and just enjoy him. As I went into ministry in whatever form, I endeavored never to get out ahead of God and allow people time to savor the moment, to bask in his glory, to soak. Was that a glimpse of life that would shape me for the things to come? Yes. Yes. For raising children, for marriage, for street ministry, for prison ministry, for evangelism, for being a prophet, for being a pastor. I had already had a glimpse of what backing off looked like and felt like. I appreciated the hooking cow backing off and allowing me my time with Jesus. The next morning, she made me a big, big breakfast. She said, Sweet Isabel, tell me how you feel and what you want to do today. I said, Well, I want to give God my hand. Not the preacher, but I want to give God my hand. I want to go down in the water. Then I want to work in the church for the balance of my days. I want to sing and shout just like you and hear things. Well, I didn't tell her, but I was already hearing things and seeing things. But I want to hear some more things. She laughed and she said, now, now that you got religion, little girl, you can hear God. And you can stop hearing old Black Becky. It took my smile away when she said that. It took my joy away. But I felt so big. I wasn't grown, but I felt so big and I felt so strong. Big enough to tell her how I felt about her talking about Auntie Becky. 
I said, my dear, can I tell you something? She said, go ahead. Now that I'm going to have religion and go down in the water tomorrow, I don't want you to say mean things about Auntie Becky. I want you to stop. I love Auntie Becky. She was there for me. Don't say mean things about her anymore. Please, my dear. I was crying all over myself. She said, shut up. Hush that foolishness. Ain't nothing to cry about. Just ask me. I won't do it anymore. Now shut up. Well, that night, I got dressed up for revival. Me and my sister were the only ones left on the mourner's bench. The preacher said, The word is not thee. Even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. And then he kept saying it. The word of faith is now nigh unto thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. And he just kept saying it. But I was saying it over and over again in my own head. I really could preach it. I already knew the verse from a little girl because every preacher said it. And after he had done that, he came down and he stretched out his hand to us. Will you come? Will you come tonight, daughter? Will you come? Come to Jesus. When you come to Jesus tonight, I rose up from my seat with heat running through my body. I felt like I was going to faint, but I didn't want to faint. I was determined not to faint, but I knew that my mother had already brought the smelling salts with her. She kept them with her always just in case somebody fainted. But I still didn't want to faint. I wanted to remember every step that I took that night. He really didn't have to preach like that. He really didn't have to beg me to come. I was already going. Even if he had not asked me, will you come, daughter? I was going to go. I was ready. I didn't take his hand. In fact, I walked past his hand, and I went straight to the altar. I fell on my knees with my hands lifted up, whispering, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I was so happy all inside. I was happy all over. My sister came up behind me. I could hear people falling on the floor, knocking over pews and tables and chairs. Somebody even fell on me. But I, and I could hear my mother saying, somebody get off of her. I was told that she kicked and bit one of the mothers of the church because she was getting on me. She, was, she almost fell on me. 
That was one of the many scenes of pandemonium that I would see in the church. Kicking, tearing up pews, knocking over chairs, running up to the pulpit, grabbing the preacher, biting, scratching, snatching hats off, running outside, running down the hill and back to the church. That was something that I saw a lot of. On the YouTube today, they call it Churches Gone Wild. And then when we see that, people look at that and say, Oh my goodness, look at that. I look at it and say, Mm hmm. <laughs> it's not new to me. I saw that already. My sister whispered to me, you better stop that praying and get up before they fall on you and you won't be able to get baptized tomorrow. She helped me back to my seat. The preacher was still shouting. My mother was still shouting. Her hat was not on her head. I turned to my sister fast. I said, where's mother's hat? I got up to look for her hat. My sister said, sit back down. You don't need to worry about her hat. Somebody will find the hat. But I saw that the hat was smashed up on the floor. And she was still shouting. But it was always my job to keep up with her hat when she shouted. But my sister was right. I didn't need to worry about her hat tonight. I had gotten my religion. I whispered to my sister, We got our religion. She smiled and said, sure did. Sure did, sweet Isabel. Sure did. When the church finally got themselves together, they said, we finally got them girls. They gave us the right hand of fellowship right there that night and said that they would take us to the creek the next day. One of the deacons said, if the, sun, if the sun shine and the creek don't rise, we're taking them girls to the water. Well, I was ready to go to the water. I was ready to go to the creek. Even though I knew that there were water moccasins in the water, I was not afraid. I felt like God was going to be in the water with me. I had gotten sprinkled in the Methodist church and now about to get a double dose of water in the Baptist church. Before all that was over, I became a Methodist, a Baptist, a Holy Rolling, Pentecostal, Apostolic, a non-denominational, and now, when all that was over, I'm just a tongue-talking, fire-baptized child of God. Like the Bible, the glimpses of life and Sweet Isabel are not just a good podcast story. Not meant to be just a good podcast story, but stories designed for you to reflect on who you are for real. 
reflect on how your life was shaped. The Bible is not just a good book filled with stories, but purposely designed to show you and I how to live, how to live a life pleasing to God. A glimpse of life according to the storyteller are designed for the same purpose. Where are your stories? What have you told your children about their heritage? Who's defining them? Do they know why they behave the way they do? They all have a grandmother or grandfather. They all have a great-grandmother and a great-grandfather. Some even have the great-greats. But has anyone told them who they are? What do they know about their heritage? Where are the storytellers in their lives? They have to have a storyteller. In order for them to know themselves, they need a storyteller. Tell them the story. They have an inheritance. Give it to them. Thank you for listening. I am the storyteller.